Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Maggie. This is Ian. And today we have a very special guest here for our second Halloween slash spooky season episode, Jade McDonald. Jade, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jade. (laughs) Um, I think Maggie and I met in like probably first grade. Probably. Um, But yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Like I said, I like to blog about movies. I've never actually done a podcast about movies. So this is new territory and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And well, and out of curiosity for our listeners, what, where can we find your blog? Oh, (laughs) so I have a website and it's on there, but my blog is fantastically named. That's a wizard's chess. (laughs) 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 Because I'm a nerd. I'm a giant nerd, so <laughs> a Harry Potter reference is definitely the way to go for a blog name. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So we brought Jade on to talk about um, a movie that I think can only just be described as absolutely fun and delightful in every single way. So our previous episode was on the original 1932 The Mummy. We, of course, are now watching the 1999 remake Loose remake, but still borrowed (laughs) a lot. It did. It did. Um, I will run through background or at least main background. We can sprinkle some in later because I want to get to watch notes um, ASAP. But uh, for people who don't know, which what have you been watching during COVID? Because this is literally all I've been watching. Um, (laughs) It is an action horror film written and directed by Stephen Sommers. It's a sort of remake of the 1932 film, and we'll kind of highlight the things that they borrowed. It stars Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, John Hanna, Kevin J. O'Connor, and Arnold Vosloo. And it follows an adventurer, a librarian, and her kind of useless brother as they (laughs) defeat Imhotep, the ancient Egyptian mummy they accidentally awaken. And if that doesn't sound like a good time. Now, I do take some issue with the adventure horror, but no comedy, because there's some comedic gold in this film that I think it does not get credit for. Oh, yeah. Half my notes are just one liners. Mm -hmm. It definitely deserves the title of comedy. I think I spent that's probably why I could handle this movie, because I laughed so much. So that way I didn't have to be terrified. (laughs) Yeah, because it has some also genuinely spooky moments Mm -hmm. for sure. Lots of jump scares. Lots of jump scares. Yeah, I've forgotten how many jump scares it had. It spawned two sequels. So The Mummy Returns in 2001 and then Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor in 2008. And then also the Scorpion King spinoffs. And um, basically uh, some fun facts really quickly. So the character of Evie is actually named after Evelyn Carnivon, who was at the opening of Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922, along with her father. So that's like a lovely reference there. And then there's also a lot of references to that 1932 one as well. Um, But that was one that I really, really loved. Kind of the cool origin story for this, because obviously... 1999 versus 1930 or 1932. That's like a long time to really have between a remake, I feel Mm -hmm. like. And there had been like other mummy like reboots and stuff. And like there had been like the Hammer Horror franchise. But when the early 90s rolled around, um, Universal actually had started to kind of go back to some of their like previous 
monster movies and their successful franchises. And there was kind of a mummy movie in the works for a while, though those sounded a lot darker and a lot more Mm -hmm. like true horror from what I could tell. And then Stephen Sommers came in and was like, I kind of see this as like an Indiana Jones type (laughs) take on it. I'm so glad you said that because that Mm -hmm. I think at the end, I'm like, this is why I love the movie because it has these really great it takes like the really great parts of Indiana Jones. Yeah. Like the buddy kind of comic comedic aspects there. Some of the, like, I I don't, I won't call them spit takes, but it's just like the, Oh wait, what did you say? Sort of things. (laughs) And it's, it's just that feel of the Indiana Jones movie, but they make it their own. So exactly. And so Somers was very interested in that. And then there had been like various directors and writers attached to the project. And then he got a chance to come in after sometime around like, 1993-ish, I believe, when Universal had actually had a huge box office flop with Babe, Pig in the City. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> that just brought back memories. Okay, I, I actually liked that movie. Did you like Babe or did you like Babe, Pig in the City? I liked both of them. They were both so endearing. And the poor dog without the hind legs. Oh my Ian, god. Ian, this is not that episode. This okay, is not sorry, that episode. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> Anyway, that was a flop. And so Universal started being like, okay, well, let's, you know, kind of go back to those successful franchises that did so well for us in the 30s when we also kind of like needed a box office boost. Mm -hmm. And Somers was able to come in and be like, here's like an 18 page treatment I have that is like Indiana Jones meets the mummy. Like, and everyone was like, okay, thank God. Awesome. Let's go. Um, And so that's how this happened. I love that this happened because Babe Pig in the City failed. I know. That's some great background. Like, had it not been for this pig, the mummy, as we know (laughs) it, would not exist. I think I read somewhere that originally they wanted Daniel Day-Lewis to be he was attached to one of the like darker versions apparently they offered the part of like rick o'connell to like a lot of like a-list male actors at the time mm-hmm. um but i'm so glad that it yeah. went to brendan fraser like, when i try and like picture that it just does not compute <laughs> yeah no he, like he's perfect for it because he's like your handsome dashing hero mm-hmm. and he's Agreed. also great with the comedic aspects of it really really funny I just want to know what a method acted Daniel Day-Lewis uh, Rick O'Connell would look like. <laughs> um, uh, lock yourself in a dark cavern with a bunch of beetles. <laughs> I know. Surely he would have been oh cast God. as the mummy, which would have been a weird method. I yeah. have thoughts on method acting. I'll get into it. <laughs> Um, fun last fun fact before we go into our watch notes. Uh, this actually was nominated for one Academy Award. It was nominated for Best Sound. Oh, I'll cool. take it. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. I think it should have been nominated for so many more, but uh, you know, whatever, critics, that's fine. Best effects, maybe. <laughs> Best effects. Or maybe they should create a new category for just like general Most fulfillment. Fun time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I actually really like that idea. Because I feel yes. like there's a uh, uh, intangible aspect to many films that exactly. become these cult classics that there should be an award for that. Yeah, so just like good ideas right now. <laughs> I like it because then we wouldn't be stuck in the 1970s watching so many Godfathers and like just <laughs> sad movies. Okay, but we're done with the Godfathers, so it's 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 okay. We'll be okay. <laughs> they'll, ha- they'll haunt me for a while, Ian. For a while. 
the horse head. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sadly, I'd forgotten about not that. even the part that haunts me the most. <laughs> Mostly it was bad characters, but let's launch into something with good characters. So right from the intro of this one, I'm like in also the score doing so much work in this movie. It was done by um, Jerry Goldsmith, who actually did the score for Patton as well. He did Mulan, too. Yeah. I think Planet of the Apes. He did a couple of the Planet of the Apes. Like he did a lot of good stuff. Man has very good composer skills. (laughs) Mm hmm. I was thinking of the score specifically when it kind of comes in and you start to pan down and the Sphinx comes into frame Yeah, when like the horns and the drums come in. I love that. I'm always like in awe of people who can really capture a, I don't know how to describe it. Like, like we have no evidence of what Egyptian music would have sounded like back then but like i believe what he created and i always think that's so (laughs) cool like it might not have sounded anything like that but like i believed it (laughs) well and his ability to like synthesize all of our cultural well i should say united states cultural understanding of what ancient egypt was which Mm -hmm. we don't have to get into like how representative it is of ancient egypt or not but it definitely puts you in that like pop culture reading of Mm -hmm. egypt there's also like a pat like a power to it that kind of like gets you going like okay i am at the start of an adventure now Mm -hmm. like i think it sets the tone so well now, Ian, would you like to discuss the CGI? Uh, it's so quaint. <laughs> That's a good term. That's an interesting I, word for yeah. it. Because I think oh. we should just kind of talk about it kind of in general at the top. I think people who don't enjoy this movie, probably the thing that they're hung up on is the fact that the CGI doesn't by and large age super well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, for all of us, I the fact that they kind of approached it with such a great like script and characters and actors and like a camp aspect to it kind of like makes that a non-factor. Um, but I will say to me, like the biggest point, potentially the only point where this movie is lacking is that like the CGI doesn't age great. And they used a mixture of like practical effects and like makeup Mm -hmm. and costumes too, which you can tell and the Mm -hmm. bits when they're using like special effects, makeup and stuff or like, I think the bits where like, the effects stand the test of time the best. Yeah. Anything, anything to do with technology is always going to be a gamble. Like it's cause we move so quickly. Things get outdated so quickly, but I really am not super bothered by the effects in the mummy. But I also know that again, I was alive back then <laughs> years <laughs> and years ago. Um, Listen so up, since children. I, yeah, so I got to see the evolution, so it's not as like jarring to me to go back. But I mm-hmm. can understand that if I was like a kid, what is the generation now, like Gen Z? I don't even know what letter of the alphabet we're on. Um, <laughs> I could understand how like if you've grown up with like cartoons that have bomb special effects and now you're like mom why are we watching this <laughs> like, I, like I, just wait for brendan fraser to come on screen then yeah, you'll get like, it just give it a minute give it a minute i will say to jump like way ahead i think that the like titular mummy like the effects around him did hold up i think And I don't know why that was the case, but it was kind of like the blending of the live action with some of the, the CGI makeup 
I think that's why I, I think it's because it's blended with live action. Like in my opinion, like the gold standard for like CGI, like early CGI that aged well is Jurassic park. And I think it's because they used like a blend of like animatronics and makeup and they really only used CGI where they had to, and they put it in like real environments. Mm -hmm. And I do think they did a lot of that here where like you are putting the CGI in like a real tangible environment. So I think that definitely helps. And like with the mummy, you're even blending it with an actor's performance. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, the characters are kind of, they're so timeless that I, I honestly barely pay attention to whether the effect looks old or not. Cause I'm usually too caught up in like the dialogue and the action and like every other thing that's happening in the scene. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of that scene where we get the introduction to the mummy and Anksunamun, I know I can never, it's pronounced Differently in the 1932 mummy than it is. Yeah. So my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> we'll <But> freestyle it. <laughs> I, hey, I'm here for it. We, we do that more often than I like to admit. <laughs> Very true. But the, the performances, especially in that scene and for speaking a dead language, like they brought it and I'm, yeah. I'm again, Agreed. Yeah. Uh, Strong start. Both both those actors, I think, do such a great job because both of them also at various points are playing like human people and playing like monster versions mm-hmm. of the character. So like the physicality is so different. And again, there's when they're speaking, they're speaking a dead language. A lot of their performance is based on like reacting, which I love. Um, here's where we get to see kind of the first bit of like borrowed from the 30s movie in that basic plot line of the idea of Imhotep was a guy who lost his love, Anxana Moon, and his whole mission is going to be to bring her back. Like, that basic story is the same. And even, like, the names of those two characters are the same. Mm-hmm. But I like that, whereas in the 1930s, they have it as, like, a flashback scene in the middle, because it, that goes with, like, the mystery, sort mm-hmm. of mystique tone of that movie. With this one, they're like, nope, we'll give you the backstory up front, super tight, super clean Mm -hmm. so that then you can just go on this wild adventure and you don't have to worry about not knowing what's going on. And I personally love the backstory just because I'm just like a sucker for any time that you give the villain a little bit of depth. And like, I know people generally do not like the prequels of star Wars. But like that was my argument for the prequel of Star Wars is like I feel for Darth Vader so much more when you see his like descent and like in the mummy knowing that he really isn't this like big bad evil guy like his his crime is like falling in love for one of the Pharaoh's mistresses which is very selfish yeah. I might and greedy it's like you can't spare <laughs> you can't spare one mistress <laughs> i know right come on man but that, like <laughs> but you're right i think that's so important is that you have a villain whose motivations you understand and that in some ways you're like he, you know he's not wrong until he decides he's going to destroy the world and kill evie and rick who mm-hmm. we love and adore <laughs> yeah but like giving him motivation i think is so good and so important and like the fact that we do feel sorry for him at the beginning i also love the, there's a shot where Anxana Moon, um, where she like stabs herself in the stomach. I mm. love that they shoot it in shadow because again, keeping kind of the gore out of this movie mm-hmm. so that like you can have your jump scares, but it can still be like fun and action packed and not too mm-hmm. scary and 
pretty family friendly. I was going to say pretty family safe because there's but no. They mirror that shot later at the end in yes. a way that I adore. Speaking of not family friendly, though, her costume. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what the gold paint budget was on this film, both set and body paint. When she first comes out, I was like, oh, what? <laughs> It was like that, very, like a mesh diamond getup. Yeah, I was like, I want, I want, just want to know like how they decided like this is what we're gonna do because I don't think I've seen that on any hieroglyph ever <laughs> in any textbook, <laughs> never on Google. <laughs> so I just want to know no. what was the inspiration for this moment. I mean, it, but it. Somebody went to a rave where there was a lot of body paint and they were like, I know what we do. Well, I mean, it was a documentary, right? Like hieroglyphs don't matter. Just the movie. (laughs) The iconic paint. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, it's, I also can't imagine like having to get paint. Cause like, it's clearly like actual body paint. Mm -hmm. Cause like when he like smears the paint on her shoulder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, can you imagine being in, like, makeup for that long? Only if I could be asleep during. <laughs> I know. Or I get paid a lot and, like, of money. And, like, just roll yeah. me over when you need to paint my yeah. other side. It's like, Oh, my gosh. So I did appreciate Arnold Vosloo's attempt at doing Karloff eyes when he was being mummified. So They lifted that shot directly yeah. from the original, mm. and it's just as creepy as it is in the original. That's the existential horror to me is the part where you realize this man's about to be buried alive. Honestly, that scares me more than anything else in the movie. It's like, that is an awful way to die. I know. I'm like, God, just the general concept is the the horror. Beatles too. Oh my God. I like hate bugs as it is. I remember distinctively like Googling like, can scarab beetles eat you? <laughs> I've definitely Googled that before too while watching this movie. Um, I've been like, does this happen? Yeah, listeners, you should know for the time being, you're safe. They cannot gobble you <laughs> up that fast, but they will eat you. <laughs> Oof. Oof. No, thank you. So in addition to the backstory, that really well done. I know, I think we all loved that. Move yeah. into some pretty quick and pretty brilliant character introductions for Rick, Evie, and her brother, Jonathan. And also Mm. Benny. (laughs) Don't forget Benny. Don't forget Benny. I would argue Benny is the biggest (laughs) villain in this movie. Um, But they do, because we are looking at a pretty large cast of characters in this film. And I know, Ian, that's been one of our biggest pet peeves in some of the other films we've done. Okay, it's like but also it's, like not Godfather problematically sized like I'm not casts. letting it go. It's only like not letting five it go. people. <laughs> but no, no, it's pretty big when you think about you have a probably, I'm going to say like five main characters. You have like three or four pretty heavy supporting minor characters. Uh, but the you Americans also kind are of a monolith. I'm not even talking about the Americans. And then you also have stuff like Winston. Then you have the Americans. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's a pretty large cast of characters. And I think they do a great job of introducing us to our leads and several of our minor characters, like quickly, efficiently when we need them to be introduced. I think there's enough distinction in the characters to where you can like tell them apart. Cause there's not Mm -hmm. a lot of characters that I'm looking at being like, Oh, you should really have combined those two Mm -hmm. characters or anything. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, so we get straight into, but they do it also with like enough action to where you're like engaged. Because I think if we're talking 
Imhotep, Rick, Evie, Jonathan, I'm going to say Benny as our five leads. They're all introduced by like the first 15 minutes of the film. Mm -hmm. And I'm never bored. Exactly. It's like unique, funny ways, including uh, Rick and Benny with their French foreign (laughs) legion. And we get our first... uh, Goodbye, Benny. <laughs> yes. Aside, <laughs> Benny is the only true villain in this movie because he has no motive. Like, I know Emotep does some like awful things, but like it's in the name of love. So, right. Benny's is in the name of greed and <laughs> saving his own skin, even if it dooms you. Yeah. Yeah. I love the like, uh, what is it? Get inside. Get inside. Don't close that door. <laughs> Don't you close that door. <laughs> I love Benny. But that even that whole scene, in addition to introducing both Rick and Benny, I loved how the I presume Egyptian soldiers were terrified of that statue that Rick was in front of. And so setting that scene as this being like a very scary and bad place to be, I think also adds to it. So it's not only do you understand the characters, but you understand the weight of the set and the place that they're in. So Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. it's again, so tightly done. Um, and I don't think I've seen that in a a while where it's been like all nice and wrapped up in a pretty little bow, but (laughs) it's a, it's a lot of show. Don't tell. Exactly. We do have some lines kind of setting the stage for Hominoptera. It's like, Oh, there's supposed to be treasure there and people being like, Oh, it's a bad place. But so much of our understanding about like how scary and dangerous it is, is from seeing stuff like that, like people reacting, seeing the Magi being like, oh, mm-hmm. they're all dead and that one guy's going to die in the desert. So it's going to be fine. <laughs> Jokes on I also them. Love that, I love that they're just <laughs> sitting up on the top being like, yep, yep, yep. this is about right. Mm-hmm. That's some savagery right there. But I also love it. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> like, Which oh. the leader of the like main Magi guy is the character is named Ardith Bay, oh. which is the n- alias used by Imhotep slash the mummy in the original when he's like mm. pretending to be a real person. So I love that they like took the name because I think it's a great character name. Yeah. And we're like, well, we're just going to repurpose it into another character and like this wonderful illusion. But she's another character that I loved. I also like the fact that they had at least some people that fit what I thought ancient Egyptians should look like. Like one of my biggest pet peeves in new movies is like, we're going to make a movie set in Egypt and like everybody's white. And it's like, that doesn't even make yes. logical sense. It's like, <laughs> it's no. so bad. We did that in the thirties. Can we please not continue yeah. to do that? <laughs> it's like we definitely have the budget. I saw, God, to- I read an interview with Arnold Vosloo who plays Imhotep and he's mm-hmm. South African. He was mm-hmm. saying like in the interview, he was like, yeah, I'm of course like not Egyptian. He's like, yeah, these days I, I probably wouldn't even get the part. And I was like, no, honey, you still would have gotten you it. You would definitely on it. <laughs> yep. But I mean, he, he still looked like. Right. You and, know? uh, Od- Oded Farr who plays, um, Ardith Bay, like he's mm-hmm. an Israeli actor. So yeah. like, it makes sense. Also, I love that originally the concept for the match, I was, they were going to be tattooed head to toe, but Summers was like, no, 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 this guy's too handsome. Like we can't cover him. <laughs> Agreed. 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 hundred <laughs> percent. So did either of you get some Lawrence of Arabia vibes during those scenes too? Yes. But I think that's just because everything shot in a desert is like Lawrence of Arabia. Ah, <laughs> oh, but the like, 
I don't know. I got some like Omar Sharif vibes. Uh, I got some cinematography guy. vibes. I love Omar Sharif. He's <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculously handsome. And I know that he's like the same age as my grandfather, but it doesn't even matter. Like every time I watch a movie, I'm just <laughs> no, like. No, no, I hear you. He's got like a certain charisma that you cannot describe. He's very suave too. Like, yes. Just in everything. And uh, he's the only reason that I was able to make it through Lawrence of Arabia. Ian, stop bringing up the movies that I hated that we did. I almost brought up The Godfather earlier, but decided against it. So anyway, we'll continue <laughs> not bringing up movies or bringing hate. up movies that Maggie hates just for comedic effect. I'm sorry. <laughs> I picked this one on purpose because it's fun and lovely. It's oh, so But it's fun. such a beautiful homage to some of these really great films. So it is. I, that's, it is. Yeah, I love it. So after that, we do see Evelyn's intro at the museum in Cairo. And so, so good. This is where, like, I personally thought the comedic aspects really came out. You got a little bit of the slapstick with Benny and Rick, but this was like full on physical comedy. With her trying to put away the book and then leaning across the way and the ladders like going up and then she just knocks all of the bookcases <laughs> in a domino effect, which I love. It's clearly completely practical. And apparently they had to do it in one take because they were like, <gasps> it would take the entire day to reset this. So nailing that in one take is crazy. Rachel Vice is so good. But yeah, it's so funny. It's a beautiful introduction of her. It kind of sets her up in contrast with like our hero like our heroic male lead that we just saw and then we're going to get to see her grow and like become mm-hmm. more heroic and then we also get the lovely introduction yeah. of jonathan hiding in the tomb first jump scare <laughs> freaked me out <laughs> i love their sibling relationship i think it is one of the like most mm-hmm. accurately depicted sibling relationships ever on film i love them and i also love um that she's not a typical damsel in distress like in the Mm -hmm. beginning of the movie she's definitely not as adept with the physical part of heroics but i liked that because of her giant evie brain she's not like because i know especially in modern movies we take issue when the woman is strictly there just to be pretty and helpless and i liked i mean she's still beautiful and she still has stuff to learn but i think that made her more of a real character because we all have strengths and weaknesses and i i do think it would be dumb if like someone who was a librarian their whole life and a scholar was like the super physically adept woman like that wouldn't make sense but i was also glad that she wasn't just like oh i have no purpose except to be saved (laughs) so smart and capable and she's like actually the leader of their group yeah Which is so great. And I love that we get to see her grow and she's like a lovely contrast. And then I think there's also like, like when people say like, we're like, we want to see strong female characters. Mm -hmm. Strong female character doesn't mean they just like punch people. Yes. (laughs) That's often conflated these days when they're like, it's a strong female character. So she's just got to fight a bunch of dudes. It's like, no, I want to see her as an individual person who changes and grows and is good at the things she's good at. And, mm-hmm. like, learning about the things she's not, which Evie absolutely does. She's, like, I think just, like, poster child for strong female character. Oh, yeah. I loved her, like, growing up. Um, and, she, like I said, she has quite a few funny moments herself. And she is just, like, really adorable in her, like, 
scholarly way being dropped into this world of adventure. But it was it was really great. That's kind of like to me, like an Indiana Jones s thing, too, because like Marion was kind of like that. Um, Like she's definitely gets saved, but she's not really this like spineless woman either. Yeah. Agreed, a hundred percent. And you can I always kidnap felt, her, but you're going to get a black eye and exactly. a mouthful in pro- the process. <laughs> so much that, <laughs> so relatable. It's so great, especially if you like saw the movie young too. Like to see like an intelligent, like nerdy female character who like has leadership potential and stuff. It's such a great thing mm-hmm. to see. I always felt growing up that I was an Evie, though the older I get and the more times I watch the movie, I have come to realize that I am in fact Jonathan. <laughs> So I'm weirdly okay with it, I think. I'm saying as I'm like drinking wine while recording this. (laughs) I'm I'm there with you. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, she was really great. I think it's a little bit ahead of its time in that way because we weren't really making a big stink about how we represent women in film back then. And just to have that. And I also liked the fact that like usually if a, a woman is smart in a movie, she has to be ugly. It's like either you're going to be the smart, ugly chick or you're going to be like the hot, <laughs> stupid she's one. Like and like she's super beautiful, super cute and still like smart as a whip. And it's kind of nice to be like, no, you could be both like. Yeah. And I know? like that they later in the film let her look like she's been through some shit. Like her hair <laughs> isn't always completely perfect. Oh her my God. makeup isn't always completely perfect. Like you can yes. tell that she just took a whirlwind through the desert after being kidnapped i love marvel movies um again i'm a nerd but like one (laughs) of the things me and my friend always complain about is like how are they gonna fight a whole battle and have perfectly waved hair no no sweat no nothing like at least in star wars i think like ray gets like sweat droplets on her face and her hair is like pulled back in a way that makes sense so like i appreciated that about evie too yeah it's like if you were in the desert running from a mummy you're not gonna have like perfect lip gloss and perfect (laughs) hair it's human in egypt (laughs) yeah like your hair will be frizzy Yeah, so we get their great introduction, and that's when Jonathan kind of brings out the puzzle box, and there's a lovely little musical sting when he, like, the quote-unquote puzzle box Mm -hmm. slash key, which we actually know is the key because they showed us very clearly in that flashback at the beginning, which I I liked. I like that this film, it crosses a lot of genres, but it also very much knows what genres it isn't. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not trying to be a mystery. Yeah. No. Yeah. We know exactly what's happening. They foreshadow a ton of stuff, but they always foreshadow it as jokes, like the sorry Benny. And then also the EV <sighs> telling Benny that it's like gross little guys like him always like, what is it? It's like nasty little men like you always get their comeuppance or something. Yes. And then I love Benny's. They do <laughs> like really worried. <laughs> like I said, this movie should be renamed the tragedy of Benny. <laughs> His slow descent. Oh, I was about to be like, yeah, like maybe he has like five kids at home. And then I remembered the line where he goes, think of my children. And Rick goes, you don't have any children. Yes. He goes, someday I might. <laughs> Which was apparently it. improv. He's, oh, he's really? another just like great character because half of my time was like laughing at Benny. Like any anytime it got a little too serious. It's like, Benny's gonna do something where you're just like, 
uh, face palm. <laughs> like, here he goes oh, it's again. it's so funny. Or you're going to be, like, mad at him, but because he's so bumbling. <laughs> like, you, you just can't dislike him. Yeah. But, I mean, I also went into this watching it this time, understanding how his story ends. So I was like, it's fine. You just wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you when you know he does, in fact, get his comeuppance, you can kind of just enjoy the ride with yeah. Vinny. Uh, we also get uh, them going to see Rick, which I this was actually the first time I had noticed this, is that they set up Jonathan's pickpocketing abilities, like, at the beginning where they go into the jail and she's like, uh this is where you got it. Like you lied to me. And I love when he's like, I lied to everybody. What makes you think you're so special? <laughs> but setting up that he like, uh, picked Rick's pocket so that then at the uh-huh. end, when you have him pick Emotap's pocket for the key again, it's like an ability that we knew the character had, even though yeah. they don't harp on it. And cause I love that. Cause I hate when you're like, you almost day ex machina abilities for characters yeah. just to like get them out of trouble. That's just really good screenwriting. Like, I find that very inspiring when I'm writing, trying to think about, like, how you can use these tiny little details and introduce them in the most subtle ways. But then when it actually comes through in the end, you're like, oh, my God, this is crazy. I live for that shit. I love it. It's so much fun as, like, an audience member when something like that happens Mm -hmm. because you're like, oh, my God, somebody thought about this. Like, they were like, you know what we should do. And oh, it's so good. But yeah, we get the intro. Uh, Evie and Rick meet. I love when Rick punches Jonathan and Jonathan's uh-huh. just laying on the ground and Evie just steps over him to continue the that conversation. That sibling relationship <laughs> right there. There's nothing more sibling than that. Yeah. Um, Annie, if you're listening, uh, if we were out of jail trying to get information about a lost city and somebody punched you, I would step over you to continue the conversation. It's like my little sister would definitely step over me. <laughs> and and probably laugh so the scene right after that where rick is potentially going to be hung also we have to just talk really quickly that they get their first kiss oh they do and let me tell you the cinematography there and the way that they kind of edited that together beautiful also just anytime rachel vice and brendan fraser have a scene just went on one mm-hmm. like their chemistry is so good yeah and i love i love love <laughs> I I hate to be such a girl, but like usually if there's no romance in a movie, you're going to lose me. It doesn't have to be like the main focus, but that's what I kind of liked about this is like you really have two romances happening, but it wasn't so much that it was sappy and taking away from the adventure. Well, and it's two romances that are kind of competing with each other. Like in order for one romance to get its happy ending, the other one can't. Yeah. Oh, the tragedy. <laughs> it's Romeo and Juliet with like guns. Oh my goodness. So, the execution scene, the only reason I bring this up is because of the wonders it does for Evie's character. So, I know. And the fact that Brendan Fraser almost died while filming it. Oh, he did. What? Yeah. He had to be resuscitated. Oh, no. Okay. I'm glad he's okay. <gasps> I mean, aren't we all? Not George of the Jungle. <laughs> Wine just went up my nose. <laughs> Wait, I need I, I need more back. Like, how did he almost die? Did something fail with the like news? It was just they they had like changed like the tautness or something. And I guess when he was like doing like the acting or something, but it just it's just like it got too tight and he passed out. Oh god. And then they resuscitated him. 
That's so awkward. It's like, sorry, man. <laughs> well, I meant to choke you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was somebody's cool. bad. I don't know who. But we can talk about Evie's character now. Sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. That's a little terrifying. But no, Evie's character, again, the, the, the fact that she is not just some wilting lily, she's the one going out there, getting it done, negotiating with the, I guess, warden of the jail. I don't mm-hmm. fully understand that character's like position. He's the warden. But she is the one that saves Rick's life there. And so. And I love the shot of her standing up like super triumphant. Yeah. It's like the score mm-hmm. swells for her. And her little like eyebrow twitch, like, what are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of what we talked about before. I like that her growth is gradual, but when she makes it to that next level, they really highlight those parts. Yes. And they don't undercut it. Yeah. Because I do feel like that happens a lot of times with women in these kind of movies is that they're really kind of glossed over. It's all about the man's progress. But I do like, again, that she didn't just come out of the library, like immediately kicking butt. I was like, I wouldn't believe that, you know, but I do believe (laughs) this. Yeah, like she's fighting in the ways that she can, the ways that she knows how. We get to see that she's like ambitious and Mm -hmm. like. If Evie wants something, Evie's going after it, and she doesn't care if the Bainbridge scholars say that she doesn't have enough field experience, which the Bainbridge scholars are stupid, and we'll get back to that later. (laughs) Oh, repeatedly reads the Bainbridge scholars for filth, and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I also love, I love when um, we get to see cleaned up Rick at the docks. Like, I love the whole her, like, one of my, like, favorite romance trope is the, like, enemies to... Lovers mm-hmm. trope, and I love that she's like very like dismisses dis bleh, very dismissive of him, and is like, oh, basically we have to bring him along because he we know like I think he's rude and gross, and then Rick shows up like beautifully polished and cleaned up, and she's just like dumbfounded. Yelza. it's so <laughs> well, good. We, we were all dumbfounded to be honest. We all were. <laughs> they did a good job with that. They had a very beautiful cast. Like I can't even lie. I'm, again, biased as a 90s baby to Brendan Fraser and anything. And when I knew that he was going to be Rick O'Connell, I was like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, Candy. (laughs) I think we're all biased for Brendan Fraser. (laughs) Oh, yes. So that whole ship scene that kind of we're leading into there, I, I loved the kind of three... I don't know, I want to call them like sub, not subplots, but like the three portions of it where you get some development of Jonathan as being kind of a bumbling (laughs) idiot that doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut. With the Americans who are also going to Hamanoptra. Um, I like that those American characters, I feel like they are in some ways a monolith, but also in some ways each get a little bit of their own personality. Mm -hmm. I feel super Mm -hmm. sorry for Burns, the one with the glasses. (laughs) He's so he's so adorable, and he just he gets a raw deal, such a raw deal. It's so bad. I also like with this boat sequence, it's sort of a very like it's an action sequence, but it's a different type of action sequence than we had seen in the movie prior. Because there is a lot of action. I like that they don't draw out the sequences way too Mm -hmm. long. Because like. I love a good superhero flick, but like when the last 30 minutes is just CGI Iron Man being thrown into New York buildings, like I... You get bored. Yeah, I'm bored with it. So I like that they keep them pretty short and sweet, but they also vary 
the type of action. Like we get a little bit of a shootout with this one. Uh, we get some fire for my little inner pyromaniac, which <laughs> I love. Slapstick comedy Slap. where Evie pulls Rick out of the way of another gunshot that you see yes. coming. Like it's got something for everyone. That is just beautiful <laughs> performance. That like little sequence right there of from both Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss. Like they're just expressions as that's happening. Yes. Like Rick being like kind of just pissed about this person almost shooting him, but also realizing like, oh, I almost died. Yeah. Because I do like that he is a hero who isn't necessarily invincible like you can tell when he's scared you can tell when he's worried you can Mm -hmm. tell when he's like shit i'm not gonna make it out of this all the characters have a good realness to them like i think that's Mm -hmm. why people like jonathan it's because like everybody can relate to that of like (laughs) i'm i'm kind of brave but i have a threshold (laughs) (laughs) yes Oh my god! I, yeah, I love him being like looking over at the Americans and be like oh, Americans, and then putting on that ridiculous safari helmet and jumping off the boat. Yes. <laughs> also, I love when um, Evie has like there's the guy with the hook who comes after Evie for the map and the key. Mm-hmm. Her like room is on fire. Rick comes to get her. And then I love when Jonathan comes back into the room looking for her and just bumps into the guy, which knocks him into the fire. And then Jonathan's able to grab the key. Like, just, oh my God. The accidental, like, saving the day is like one of my favorite comedic we are things. All Jonathan. We all have Jonathan in us. <laughs> Oh, it's oh so that funny. scene is so good, and that's when we get to see Benny again and get that beautiful ad libbed line about one day. <laughs> and the only reason I, I mention that is because at the very end, after they are off this boat, Rick and he have an exchange about Most making to Hamanatra. Line in the entire film, I would You're argue, on the wrong side, side of, the of the river. river. <laughs> yeah, with Benny being like, "Look who has all the horses." Oh, Benny. Like I said, it's almost hard to like root against him because he's so pathetic. It's just like, oh, that's oh, a God. perfect description of yes. him. <laughs> You're like, maybe if he had succeeded once, he wouldn't be the way he is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know whether to like hate him or laugh or feel sorry for him. <laughs> All of the All above. Three. All three. So rapidly approaching our first, well, I guess technically second view of Hamanoptra, um, get a really fun racing scene between the Americans mm-hmm. and, uh, I guess, Evie's crew, as mm-hmm. I will now call them, if you all are okay with that. I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally okay, with that. okay with that. With them on camels, you get like the sense that Evie's really coming out of her shell with the way that she is so into making this camel get to Hamanoptra before the Americans on their horses. Like that little bit of interplay between Rick and her, I think does wonders for both showing kind of how they're developing feelings, but also I just love seeing them on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, same. I also love like how supportive Jonathan's being of her in that moment, like cheering her on. And then you have the wonderful comedic bit of her like getting there and winning, but then almost falling off her horse (laughs) or off her camel. (laughs) But like you said, it's those little details that again, make it great because had she like perfectly ridden in, I don't know if I would have believed it as much because like she's learning, she's growing, she's growing, but she's not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah. She's she's still got like room to grow. Mm-hmm. Getting um, her camel legs under her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. There's 
Also, I think a line in the sequence is like kind of both the different camps are setting up their dig sites that I think perfectly highlights, Jade, what you were saying about like how Evie is this great character because like, no, she can't fight like she can't ride a camel perfectly, but like she's so smart and capable. Mm -hmm. And that's when you have the like uh, head of the other expedition says the oh, they're led by a woman. What does a woman know? Immediate cut to Evie just dropping knowledge. (laughs) Shots fired. (laughs) It's so good. I love that they just immediately cut to her just like explaining everything about the statue of Anubis and that that's where the book is supposed to be. And like, these are mirrors. And Jonathan, that's not how you hold that. Like, yeah, it's so refreshing to see. And then you have the really sweet moment of Rick bringing her the like archaeology tools, which is so sweet and adorable because uh, it's like awkward and cute and sweet, but also like a healthy relationship is yes. forming and we have not seen a healthy relationship in any of our movies in so long. Ian, what was the last healthy relationship we covered on this podcast? I mean, I feel like, <laughs> Oh, I was going to say Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, but like their relationship ultimately leads to their destruction. So I'm not sure I can call that healthy. <laughs> is it? Wait, are we talking about the relationship between Butch and Sundance or yes. Sundance and Edda? Butch and Sundance. I was trying to, I was thinking more of like healthy romantic relationships. Oh, I was just going for any relationship. (laughs) You're not wrong. That's true. I'm looking back at the list. I think the last healthy romantic relationship we saw was in Sound of Music in 1965. And we just did Godfather 2 that was in 74. Mm -hmm. Love Sound of Music. But I think one of the reasons like the mummy and movies like Sound of Music, it's like, I'm into a slow burn. And, like, yes. one of my complaints in, like, recent movies, romance and otherwise, is that the de- romantic development happens too fast. And it's like, I didn't get any chills up to the moment, whereas I like that, again, like you said, I love when the two characters, like, don't really like each other or see each other as equals. And then through the course of the movie, he's putting them in situations where they see each other in a new light. And then, then slowly they get to this like boom moment of like, we like each other. Now we all know it, but I love that. I want time to ship them. Like I want to be invested in that relationship. And I want to be like, when they kiss at the end, like I want to feel like I'm going to cheer. Cause I like, I've been waiting for this. This for the whole movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, I definitely think you can drag it out too long, but like this one did a really good job because they have so many like little moments. Mm-hmm. So you're satisfied, but like oh. not all like they're they're teasing you. <laughs> yeah. Like it isn't until the end when they're like a, basically on an I love you mm-hmm. level. Mm hmm. But it's just yeah, I love that. It's so cute. We get more creepiness and like beautiful cinematography with like the torches going through the tomb mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the wonderful comedic scare with them confronting <laughs> each other. It's again, adding in that beautiful little bit of jump scare, but comedic comedic. I also love the consistent visual gag of anytime anything like surprising or scary happens. All the Americans are like double pistols out. And then you have Jonathan <laughs> and Benny with their single smaller guns. <laughs> So funny. Those Americans. Yes. Those Americans. They're double guns. It makes me wonder, though, what I would have done in that situation. I probably just screamed and ran away. So (laughs) (laughs) probably for the best. I know. Mm -hmm. People would have been like, no one's been here in a thousand years. I've been cool. You go first. Yeah. Oh, God. I don't need to be the first person. I can be the second. 
I mean, without even seeing the beetle scene, like just the thought of the bugs alone would keep me from going down there. Yes. 100%. I'd be like, there are probably snakes in there, so yeah. no. Mm-mm. I'll pass. I yeah, am very happy there yeah. are no snakes in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of kind of that slow burn building up the the tension in the plot, the way that they kind of step up the risks while excavating, I think is effective in that same sort of way. So the Americans have some of their diggers get essentially melted with acid from a booby trap. I don't think anything that weird happens with Evie's crew, which I'm uh, like, you have the warden with the scarab. Oh yeah, you're right. He yep. Gets in his head and he's toast. I remember that. Creeping that me scene out as disturbed kid. me. <laughs> Anytime you have that like CGI like thing yeah. going under the skin, Ugh. that makes my skin crawl. Yeah, I no. like that. That's like my worst nightmare. Also, we're like roughly an hour into the film at this point and we're coming back around to the mummy. But like it feels appropriate because they did such a great job of like setting up our characters. And like, I care. I know enough background about the mummy to where like I'm also watching them get closer and closer to the bad thing that I know mm-hmm. is there. And it's really skillful how they did that, because you would think that like waiting an hour to actually introduce the titular monster would make it so slow and boring. But it really isn't like it's so much stuff is happening up until that point, which I think is incredibly difficult to do to not because like at no point during the movie did I feel like, oh, like, when is the mummy coming? I'm so bored. <laughs> I know. There's no downtime. Like, the way they handled it's like one of the best paced movies I think I've mm-hmm. ever seen. I second that. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Love it. I love when they show like the inside of his coffin because that's still another like With tension. The scratch mark. That whole scene. Like, oh. Yes. Oh, that whole scene is what haunted by like dreams as a child because you get the <laughs> juicy mummy, which again, calling the mummy juicy, Why is yeah. such a good juicy. choice, but like, oh, so creepy. And then the yeah. fact that he was, I don't know, it just, uh, yeah, gives me chills still. We have like the American crew, like opening the box with like the book of, uh, the dead that they thought was going to be the book of Amun-Ra. And here's the first time I would like to point out how stupid the Bay Bridge scholars are, because of course the book of the dead would be at the legs of Anubis. He's the God of the, the underworld. Why would it be at the b- legs of Horus? Yes. Who's a sky God? Cause logic isn't a thing in archeology, span Maggie, obviously the scholars were, <laughs> this was the 1930s. I didn't even think about that until you said it, but now that makes them sound like extra dumb. <laughs> Well, I feel like they took the same sort of like horrific archaeology work tropes from the (laughs) 1930s version Mm -hmm. and just replicated them here where it's like, should you really be touching a 3000 year old piece of paper with your bare hands? No, No, at least here it's like books carved, like codexes carved into stuff. And the original, it's a scroll and a guy just like wipes his hands on his shirt and goes to handle it. And I was like, stop it. It made me hurt. It was not good. So many regrettable choices in that moment. (laughs) Like, haven't you guys heard gloves? Oh, God. Yeah, no. But when we finally do get the mummy, like, alive, because... I like that it's Evie who does it. That it, like, Mm -hmm. it's her curiosity. curiosity, yeah. Because I am a librarian. (laughs) And I I feel like this was maybe a thing that we saw more in the 90s, because... 
when you look like further back, a lot of times you have like the male character being like the rational one. Like, I don't believe in this. And it's the female characters who believe in like the superstition Mm -hmm. and like the more like mystical, magical aspects of things. But like here it's Jonathan and Rick who are spooked and like the leader of the other archaeology team. And it's Evie who's like the no, 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 no. Like if I can see it and I can touch it, then it's real. Yeah. I love that too. And I also love the fact that when the mummy first awakes that they're all just like trapped unknowingly with this danger because that's what gave me so much anxiety the first time that i watched it it's like they have no idea that this thing that dramatic irony uh, is strong it's like it's like they don't know and there's also no easy exit no no easy exit like you just feel the claustrophobia Yes. yes. And the set they used to like create that feeling, mm-hmm. I think was brilliant because they, they did vary it up enough that even though it was just this, this really tiny hallway, mm-hmm. like you still get the action and the like, I guess, emotion out of it. Yeah. Not emotion, yeah. but like you're, you're very scared of it. They make it ominous. Like, I don't think I would have felt as afraid if it was like in a big open space where like you could have seen it coming. Right, exactly. Instead, it's these hallways. It's like going through like the trap door you don't know about. And like, oh, my God, the way they shoot and light burns. Well, one, him losing his glasses like that bit (laughs) breaks my heart. And then just the darkness. Oh, God. Like, I have a thing with eyes, just like period. Like, I watch Game of Thrones and like anytime something has to do with eyes, I'm just like, nope, eh, canceled. Shut it off, throw it away. Can't do it. Can't do it. So that whole scene was just like, I knew what was going to happen as soon as the glasses fell. I was like, no, this poor guy, something's about to happen to his eyes. <laughs> I can feel it. When Evie finds him and like his back is turned to her and the way he's lit. And then when he turns around and there's like, he's missing his eyes and it's not great CGI, but the way it goes from him to immediately the mummy coming out of the dark yes. with the eyes. we know exactly what happened. It's so creepy. I love how Evie is not like, she's so calmly freaking out. Like she's just like the, please help me. Don't leave. She's like animal in frightened, hiding under the bush, not like running. And the way she was lit in that too, is she kind of back toward the wall and all of a sudden her face is in the moonlight. And Imhotep like sees Mm -hmm. her for the first time. And then we get to cut that tension with a beautiful comedic moment of Rick coming in and be like, where you are, there you are. And like turning around and it's just like screaming. (laughs) But they're so good at that of like making you tense, making you afraid and then laughter (laughs) to like ease the tension a little bit. The balance is just so Mm -hmm. on point. That's why I think it's like kind of good for the family because I've seen other horror films where... Like I said, I don't enjoy it because I'm I'm literally stressed from yeah. the opening until the credits, and I don't I don't enjoy that. There's a good balance because if there was no jump scares, <laughs> no tension, I would have been like, "This is boring. Why is this you yeah. know horror?" Mm-hmm. I like my my gothic creepy atmospheres, mm-hmm. but I want my comedy, my slapstick comedy <laughs> in there too. I want <laughs> is it too much to ask. I need a, every film should have a Benny. Benny. Just blanket <sighs> statement. 
speaking, I, of, speaking Benny, of Benny, yeah. Take <laughs> that it away. scene where he has all of the different symbols <laughs> of major religions from around the world. And he's just trying them one after another. It's so just like, Benny. He's like, okay, Buddha won't help me. All right, I'm going to yes. do a cross. Okay, God won't help me. All right, let me use this other amulet. Okay, let me pull out the Star of David now. It's just a testament to like his ultimate disloyalty. It's like, I can't even be loyal to a higher power. It's like, whichever God is going to get me out of this, that's what I'm throwing. <laughs> yes. He is the most disloyal person like ever. <laughs> but I love the way they use this because it's a very funny thing. It's super informative about his character, but it also makes sense to the plot because when he holds up the Star of David, that's the like language that the mummy mm-hmm. recognizes and he yep. recognizes it as I think he calls it like the language of the slaves. Mm-hmm. And so then that's how Benny comes to be in service to the mummy. So like it makes sense plot wise. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It shows you what a weasel Benny is. Such as if we didn't already weasel. know. Historically informed <laughs> too. That's the part I really like. But. Yeah. It, yeah. It is like, it is a historically informed plot decision too. Yes. Not everything in this is historically accurate. Most things in this movie are not historically accurate, but the nuggets it's, it's, are there. It's close enough. I don't, I don't have a huge <laughs> issue with that. I feel like if you're a person who's going to take the time to like read up and find everything that's wrong, you just want to be miserable. Like you don't want to have a good time. <laughs> yes, and this mu- like if you don't want to have a good time, this movie's not for no, you because that, it is no. such a good time. But I feel like it's almost better when people get the little details right and like change the big stuff as you need for your plot. Mm-hmm. But it, when you can throw in like a little detail, it just kind of makes it more authentic yeah. in some ways. There was like a, there was one other thing that they did that I thought was like such a nice little detail, but I can't remember what it was. Well, if you think of it. I'll just shout it out. Yes. No context. (laughs) (laughs) So the next sequence is really concerned with the mummy coming to full power. And I really, I I appreciate it so much that they didn't dwell on this because ultimately everyone who opened the scroll of the dead box is like marked to be used to regenerate the mummy. And so you have four people that need to be offed for the mummy to rise to power, but they like, kick it off one mm-hmm. after another and as much as i was sad i like that it's not he's back he's all powerful i like that there's like a some sort of process he has to go to so that he's becoming a bigger and bigger threat and it gives our heroes like a clock that they kind of have to race against yeah stakes yeah so they have to keep growing simultaneously it's like it's his evil power gets bigger like we also have to get tougher and stronger and smarter yeah i love that we have the introduction of winston who is like one of my favorite little side characters he's so memorable and just like so immediately endearing i just feel bad for him because he, he has this he like wants. oh well he gets he gets to go out in the blaze but of his glory want he is want still it. tragic like no oh poor winston <laughs> cheers to winston Yes, let's take a moment. Cheers to Winston. Cheers. Yes. <laughs> Pour one out. Pour one out for Winston. Yeah, I'm not pouring it out. It's getting poured down my throat, yeah, but that's you're right. fine. That's wasteful. <laughs> Gulp it down for Winston. I do like to, with the going through the plagues, I like that we actually get the knowledge of each plague from Jonathan. I think that's a nice touch to make him not completely useless. 
It's like he does have a function in the team other than just like cracking us up and being like the foil to Benny. Yeah. Yeah. He- <laughs> just every time you say Benny, I start laughing. I know, you just oh, think Benny. of something and you want to laugh. <laughs> I don't really like the main things that stick out in this next sequence are really just Evie again saving the day and that wonderful car chase. Mm-hmm. So Evie again handing it to the Bembridge scholars about the location because she's like searching over this hieroglyphic carved rock in the museum and is like, ah, I got it. Take that. And they immediately have to get running away from Emotep and his mob of followers. That is the creepiest plague. Easily the worst plague. Very zombie-like. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to like grasp that the first time that I watched it. Cause I was like, why are all these people <laughs> like so <laughs> yeah. I didn't catch that it was part of it. So I was very confused of like, cause I was just like, yeah, the last thing I would do is see a gummy person and be like, yeah, I'm going to follow him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be like that. That is what I am like attaching myself to. That's the train I'm taking. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. But that car chase felt so Indiana Jones to me. Very yeah. Indiana Jones. Because you've got like everybody from all sides, like a supernaturally powerful force that almost overtake him, but they sort of fight him off. But oops, they lost one guy and it was the most important <laughs> Is guy. Is there like a more chilling sound in like any sort of like action horror movie than empty clips? Oh God, it's horrible. Because he's shooting the yes. pistols and then you just hear it go to the empty clip, like clicking and we're all like, oh, you're you're fucked. Did it again to go back to that kind of shadow trope hiding all of the, the gore. Every single desiccation of the Americans happened with that shadow or mm. off frame in a way that you really don't see what happens. Like there, there's the one where we know it's awful because we can just see Benny's reaction to it. Like, mm-hmm. yep. I love that because I'm not a fan of gore. Yeah, but it's still super effective because... We, we like you get to see the end result and then yeah. i think that get, gives you the shock too because a lot of times like my jump scare kind of moments like i said in when he turns around and he has no eyes <laughs> and you're just like yes <laughs> so you don't lose anything which i think is important um but i also think i would have hated to like actually see what happened to these people yeah. in the moment i would have watched it through my fingers so end of the car chase, they're done. They can't do it. Evie goes off with Emotep and saves the day again. I think I feel like Evie actually saves the day. More. It's like Evie constantly saves the day. And then finally, at the end, they have to save Evie. Mm-hmm. But even then, Evie kind of saves the day. Yeah. She holds her own through this whole movie. Yeah. Totally agree. Rapidly approaching Hominoptera now, we get the plot that we alluded to earlier with Winston, where he is instrumental in getting the guys back to Hominoptera safely, mostly safely. Um, And we get some of that again, CGI that I think this aged kind of okay, where you have the mummies like face in the sand, trying to eat the plane as it's going. It's iconic. It's such a good visual. I love it. So good. That's still like the image I think of when I think of, this version of the mummy because that's like what was on the dvd yeah. cover of like the big sand face yeah. well and you saw it the very first time when rick was at the statue of anubis in um 
Hamanoptera the first time, like you saw the face in the sand in the in the ground. So it's like the motif is coming back repeatedly. The next, I guess we have, well, we actually have some really amazing makeup when we have like Evie who's like on the like altar and then you see the mummy of Anx and Amun. Mm-hmm. I love that it's like actual makeup. It's so incredibly well done. Um, Cause I was like one of my favorite parts of the original was just like the super detailed makeup oh, on yeah. the mummy. And out of curiosity, is it, did uh, I, I believe it was Patricia, Velasquez, who did uh, Anxunamun. And I'm curious, do you know if she also did the mummified version? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she did. And she comes back in the sequel, too, Mm -hmm. where she plays like a reincarnated version. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. I like the sequel a lot. Me too. I I watched it today and I was like, this is still awesome. Nice. (laughs) It's pretty, it's pretty solid. But I I do want to like give a shout out to her for that, that performance as the mummy. Cause I know Maggie, we've definitely mentioned it before where like Boris Karloff is our shining example of somebody who can act through extremely heavy makeup has a, a, a very, um, captivating like physicality about the performance. And it felt, kind of similar there where yeah. this version of Moon was still extremely menacing. And honestly, the fact that she was so nimble, even being mummified mm-hmm. just like ups that terror factor. And I know that that kind of makes me think of the, the movie 28 days later, where <laughs> all of a sudden mummies, instead of being not mummies, I'm sorry, zombies, instead of being these like slow moving, kind of scary, but not really, you can avoid them. Things turned into these like superhuman there's nothing more terrifying than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it, I don't know, it was just a really cool characterization. Also the fact that she's kind of acting blind because there is like a bandage mm-hmm. over her eyes and which I think gives it like a very creepy physicality sometimes. But I agree. I think she absolutely kills that. She did so well. And it holds up because it's, yeah. you know, makeup and not 100% CGI. So like it because still looks good guards. now. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a little different. Uh, they do also use some practical makeup on the priests, like when the mm. guys are coming through the treasure room. Which when the priests start to come up through the floor with like the hands, which is a very like horror movie thing that you can tell that it's like prosthetics and uh, makeup and stuff. And I think that look like that particular bit looks really good. Um, I also love when the guys, oh, I'm just calling them the guys now, when they just open up fire. And I love when Jonathan turns to Rick and pulls both the guns out of his shoulder holsters and just like clearly is just like feeling himself, like shooting at the mummies. And I love both John Hanna's facial expression and Brendan Fraser's reaction to it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that's such good. I love that. That's the nuance of acting. Yeah, that you never lose character in any of the action sequences. Uh, Again, such great comic relief always comes from (laughs) Jonathan. Like, I'm never not smiling when he's on screen. Agreed. Well, (laughs) and it's even when he is trying to get that last hieroglyph on the book that he needs to say to control the the pharaoh's guards Mm -hmm. like the fact that he doesn't immediately says say it and he's like oh that's what it is like come on jonathan (laughs) come on now yeah now now i see yeah because i love that like he's got the book he's trying to run from imhotep rick's got like all of the priests coming after him and then jonathan summons the guard but can't control the guard 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Evie's trying to give Jonathan the translation. He's like describing the hieroglyph. He's like, it's like a stork. <laughs> okay, but the fact that she saves the day, even though she knows what it like, is, yeah, she was instrumental. So I, I, I love that she is never helpless. I like yeah. that each of our main characters like plays their part in that finale. Like you have Ardith Bay seemingly sacrificing himself to like get them through. You have Rick like fighting the priest. Although I love when he does his like heroic pose and then immediately gets like pulled off his feet by one of the priests that he didn't properly kill. (laughs) But he had some really comedic timing. It had comedic moments in his fighting, like when he accidentally stabbed one of their head skulls and then used it to beat down the other mummy. (laughs) Like even if it was like kind of scary, it had comedy like wrapped in at moments. Yeah. And then you have like Evie doing like her translations. You have Jonathan using his like pickpocketing skills to get the key Mm -hmm. to like open the book. I love that each of them plays like a very distinct, important role. And that it didn't get muddy. Like, just to piggyback on that, like, it could have very easily gotten, like, there's too much happening and I can't really focus on any one moment. But they did a good job of, yeah, like, each character shines without overpowering the other one's moment. I think that's a testament to the editing. Because, like, that would have been such a easy, like, finale to mess up with, like, bad editing. Yeah, for sure. It would be interesting to, like, I would have loved to been on set that day just to see how it was choreographed you know to like have all these things happening at once without interfering because i'm sure it was probably challenging like plus they're using like seed like a lot of technology that probably was like pretty new at the time i'm imagining the equipment was pretty bulky yeah the Mix of CGI, then you have mummy extras, and like I said, all this stuff is <laughs> happening. Like, I would have been so distracted. I would have been like, ah, yeah, what's happening? <laughs> Where do I look? <laughs> like a cat with a laser pointer. <laughs> yes. But again, testament to how well it was done that they pulled it off. Yeah, I like feel for action actors in this way because I feel like they always get snubbed in places like Golden Globes and Academy Awards because they're not, you know, doing this like deeply emotional thing. But it's also incredibly hard to like keep focus and perform all these physical stunts while all this stuff is happening. And I feel like they get seriously underrated. Yeah, because, like, you have to do all of the physical stuff of, like, a stunt person. Like, if you're doing your own stunts, you're doing, like, the physical stuff that a stunt person would do. Also trying to, like, hold character. Yeah. And, like, remember lines. And, yeah, it's it like, cannot I can't be just easy. fight. I've got to fight, like, O'Connell. I've got to fight the way Evie would fight. Like, that, to me, would take so much focus and then just like having to remember like i have to aim here lest i accidentally really punch this extra in the face <laughs> <laughs> or I feel almost like get strangled is no i've joke. been punched by a missed stage punch before it hurt no. christine shaw clocked me in the jaw in midsummer night's dream one time because oh, she swung no. early and i wasn't ready and she just clocked me straight in the See? jaw it's it's yeah. risky very risky. <laughs> and and we were literally like sitting delivering lines as that happened. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine like trying to do an actual fight sequence. Yeah. But they pulled it off like so well. If if they made mistakes, I didn't notice. I'll put it that way. 
They 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 might know, but I, I didn't see any. <laughs> And I will say even the kind of culmination of that scene where Evie is able to say the incantation to make the mummy mortal. I like that it doesn't straight kill him. I like that the whole thing is that it makes him mortal. And then kind of there's that moment where we're all like, okay, he's not dead. What happened? And then him like impaling himself on the sword because he doesn't realize he's now mortal. But the image of him melting away into the like soul pool (laughs) is so striking, even though, again, the CGI is of the time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to describe it. It's it's still something that just sticks with me. Mm -hmm. Because, again, you, you still feel bad for him a little bit. Yeah, you do. You I really do. Feel do. Bad for him yeah. Cuz his love is gone. Mm-hmm. It's like the only reason I am not cheering for Imhotep is because he wants to destroy the world and I ship Rick and Evie more. Exactly. But I don't feel like 100% hatred towards oh, him. Oh, right. absolutely not. Like there could easily be like a flipped version of this where like just because of perspective you're like a 100% going for Imhotep to win. Mm-hmm. And you're like who are these like dumb asses that are in his way let him get his lost love <laughs> yes Ugh. but and then i like that they have to they have to escape the crumbling temple because benny fucked up <laughs> uh, okay but the fact that it is his greed that makes him fuck up is just yes. so perfect also can we talk about how like that temple just had a self-destruct button just like sitting well, there did you do you remember them mentioning that at the very beginning did they? Yeah. They were like, oh, they built it so that at the touch of a switch, it would just disappear into oh. the sand. I think Jonathan said that line. So, again, oh, all the details. Oh, that's so brilliant. Because I was always like, that's hilarious. But also, why does this temple yeah. have a self-destruct button? But Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was in the scene when they were in the like museum curator's office when the museum curator tries to burn the map. Oh, okay. Which, again, funny moment that makes so much sense later. But. Oh, my God. That's so good. But yeah, I love that it's his greed. I love that the temple's immediately collapsing. I love that Jonathan drops the book into the pool of souls and Evie runs back and is just super mad about it. It's like, you dropped the book. And then they have to go get her and like, pull her with them but then they do it like mirror that when they're in the treasure room and jonathan tries to stay and then evie and rick have to come back and get him perfect siblings yes i was like i love that these two are so clearly siblings like they're both like cantankerous and mildly obsessive just about completely different things adds just like so much humor to the moments also says the importance of like these bonds like it's because they have each other that they get out, whereas like Benny, who's forsaken everyone, <laughs> we're just like, we're just gonna leave you. And even then, O'Connell tries to help him, he and tries. that's where you get the goodbye, Benny, when the Indiana Jones style mm-hmm. door comes down. Okay, Benny's demise is the most terrifying of all of the demises <laughs> in this film. It kind of is. It gives me so much anxiety seeing him crawl back under that roof that's coming down. Yes. And I know I know it's because of the way they shot it. I know it's not that close to him, but that one. Oh, yeah. He was also taking his time me. in a way I would not have been taking my time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, that used to stress me out more than anything. I'm like, why is he not? moving faster it, it, but it kind of works because i don't know if you've ever had nightmares like this but it seems like a nightmare is like you can't run fast enough like no matter what you yeah. do and like that's what it was like watching benny it's like move it dude <laughs> like 
double time. The sound of the scarabs and like watching mm. the like torch start to go out. That sequence right there is very Indiana Jones to me. Cause mm-hmm. when you have yes. the door coming down and then you also have like when they're in the snake pit, there is yeah, that shot of like yeah, the torch yeah. going down and everything. So I feel like that in particular was like very Indiana Jones. Well, and even that scene at the end of Ark of the Covenant where you see all of the artifacts in the Indiana Jones film reminded me a lot of what happened at the beginning when they first illuminated the treasure room. Yeah. So it's that's that's where I was really getting those vibes. Yeah. It was just such a good like those Beatles really Oh God! Oh. They raised my blood pressure a little bit. I can't. Lie. It's like a, it's like an unusual horror monster. Yeah, but yeah. it works really well. And they were oddly pretty with their like iridescent mm-hmm. sheen, but also the prettiest things. So deadly. If they're bugs. Nature, uh, nature oh. will get you. Nature and treasure, apparently. Yes. Greed and beetles. <laughs> yes. Yes. Two things to avoid in this life. <laughs> For if sure. you've learned anything from this movie, avoid greed and beetles. beetles. Um, and then our heroes just get to ride into the sunset. I love when Jonathan's like, great, we're leaving empty handed. And Rick does his romantic like, well, I wouldn't say like completely or like empty handed. And they have their little moment. And I love Jonathan's just like, oh, God, <laughs> which is a great brother reaction. Such a sibling reaction. I think my note there was literally I wouldn't say that. Eyes of Lerve. (laughs) It's like exactly what happened. (laughs) But it's so good because we've like waited the whole movie for them to like admit it out loud that like, yes, this is a thing. This is happening. Yeah. We're like, we knew it was happening, but now you've said it and we get to like watch you right off into the sunset together. It's the slow burn. The power of the burn. Yes, absolutely. And the final cherry on top for me was the glint off the treasure that Benny had so generously gifted them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> generously is maybe very uh, generous, but <laughs> they do that CGI glint twice, and I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sold on it. But I do love the irony of like Benny could have just ridden off on the one camel. He could have had like a shit ton of gold, but he just needed more. You know what? So for people that say that the mummy is in deep, there are crucial lessons yeah. in this movie. <laughs> when you are robbing an ancient tomb and trying to abandon the other people in it, don't be too greedy about it. Exactly. Maybe don't this be an is, asshole. Don't, like, just don't be an asshole. That's the, that's the moral of the story. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> I feel like that should be the moral of every movie. Every movie. And somewhere in there, it. it's always don't be an asshole. And you would have lived. I mean, yeah. That was the difference between being devoured by beetles and riding off into the sunset. That's the difference between Benny and Jonathan. (laughs) One's just an asshole. Yeah. Jonathan's bumbling, but he's not (laughs) heartless. Yeah. That, uh, that's exactly it. So I, I did not have a full, like, I liked this movie, but I did not have a full appreciation of it until I think I watched it this time and like really watched it. So I, I'm a total mummy like proponent. I think it's going to be in my like Halloween rotation from now on. Yeah. I I've always loved it. I do feel like watching it like more analytically now, like I can better to describe to people like why I love it. Cause I feel Mm -hmm. like previously I was like, I don't know, man. Like I just really love this movie for some reason. And now I can go and be like, pacing, characters, 
comedy. I'm definitely there with you. Like I, I've tried to explain before because people do hit me with like the CGI thing of like, how can you still watch this? And I'm like, I can't. It's not about the CGI. Uh, yeah. It's yes. like I, I didn't really have an answer before because I never really thought about it until I like had this discussion and then was realizing like all the little pieces that are actually a little bit highbrow for the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for the movie for sure. snobs out there. It's like it actually does have some some quality to this movie, even amongst all the campiness. But I think that's why it's still good. To this day, because it, it didn't take itself too seriously, you know, it's just really good fun. Like, I never turn it on and, like, feel like I'm not enjoying myself. So yes. good. So I think, you know, this is a massive recommendation from all of us. Yes. Uh, for for sure. Halloween or, frankly, any time of the year. Um, Anytime you want to have fun. <laughs> which hopefully is, is like, a lot. Because if not, oof. Yeah. 2020 is not 20 is not 20. Uh, 2020 is not the year to not be having fun if you can. Yeah. <laughs> we have too much serious stuff happening right now. I feel like everybody can use a break when they turn on TV. Give yourself some joy. Yeah. Yeah. This is good, too, because I think because it's a little bit older, I would say I would I would let a younger kid probably watch this. I think maybe if you're under. 11, it's probably still a little too scary for you. But if you have a family and your kids are like in middle agree school. with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I agree, but I have like notoriously seen like films way too young mm-hmm. <laughs> because my dad forgets what the plot was. And then he'd be like, let's watch this movie that's like not scary at all. And then you're like, dad, this uh, is terrifying. That was my own fault. Deliverance was my fault. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I'm, I'm a pansy. I saw the Michael Jackson video for Thriller at age nine and like did not sleep. In (laughs) fact, I had such bad PTSD. I couldn't even listen to the song. Like, I don't know if you ever heard the song, but it like starts with like a creaking door before it like gets into the music. And like, if I heard even two seconds of it, I would just like completely shut down. (laughs) You got that Pavlovian response going. (laughs) So I definitely understand, but I feel like, Mummy's pretty family friendly once you clear. I would say eleven and up. I think you're safe. Yeah, it's like it's a way to like ease your kid into like maybe some of the like slightly creepier movies and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's good. For sure. Cool. Okay, so that is a wrap for our current spooky season. Thank you so much, Jade, for coming on and chatting with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. course. We'll definitely be having you back. Um, So until the next episode drops, which I think is one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yes. Which also kind of probably going to be a little spooky, I would imagine. Uh, But also so good. I'm actually excited, even if it's a downer. (laughs) Very much looking forward to that. And then even better, after that one, we get to watch Rocky, which I've been waiting for for like seven episodes. Um, So until then, you can find us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Best Pictures Pod on both. Or you can email us at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Rate, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. For sure. Definitely rate and review. It helps us find new audience members. And thank you again, Jade, for joining us on 
this episode. It's been a complete pleasure. So again, if our listeners want to find your blog about movies, where can they find it? Um, so I have a Wix site and it's off of there. But I think if you just Google that's a wizard's chest, it usually comes up. Um, but my website, I think, is J. Nicole McDonald and still has dot because I'm cheap and I don't want to pay to get rid of it. <laughs> That's that okay. is reasonable. So are we. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> keep the wig site. <laughs> it's on there. So thanks again. And as Maggie said, uh, please join us next time for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs>